Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm, I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? I believe it was the former England striker, now political activist, Gary Lineker, who once said, Football is a simple game. 22 men chase a ball for 90 minutes, and at the end, the Irish always win. Mm. Hello and welcome to today's uh, Second Captain's Irish Times football show. It's uh, Kieran Murphy here, sitting in for Owen McDevitt. I'm joined here by Ken. Hello, Ken. Hi, Kieran. How are you? Ah, oh, God, Ken. How good do I feel right, right now? Well, our football team are good enough to go to Russia and win the World Cup. Well. Um, we need to start planning now, not to get out of the group, but to win the World Cup, Ken. Win in Russia. Yeah. Um, that was pretty impressive on, uh, on Saturday. Well, I, I think so. I think it was, um, uh, it's showing that Ireland have got a kind of a quality now, a very boring quality in some ways, but a very important one of game management. You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of, it's, it's one of the ways in which um, people, managers <clears throat> explain away bad games, but good results, you know? We managed the situation really well there. Yeah, and, and look, I think it's actually really important because Ireland had, for so many years, not been able to do that. You know, I, I mean, whether, uh, you know, the, the, the classic Trapattoni uh, performance was, you know, a kind of uh, hardworking, rigid, defensive performance and, and a moment of disappointment and maybe maybe a goal, a one-all draw. Like, I, I always kind of feel one-all draw was the likely result with, with the Trapattoni team. Um, you know, and maybe in, in towards the latter period, things got worse and we started to lose more. Um, but winning it was, was, it was something we can never do. We would always let the others in. And while, okay, Austria had a chance uh, late on and they had a couple of chances in the game, we also had a couple of chances um, in to, to extend the lead. And, yeah, I kind of I feel as though there's definitely some kind of... Um, there's definitely real progress that's happened here. It's not just a lucky run of recent results. The team is... I think better able to uh, envisage the 
possibility of actually winning a game. You know, I mean, winning a you know a game against a, a team of comparable quality. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's great. We might as well get into your uh, report on sport, Ken. So dominant, in fact, were Ireland. I felt as though um, I felt as though this is what it feels like. I had a new feeling of sort of walking around that stadium, and I didn't even realise that it was happening at first. And it was only after it happened a few times I could see the Austrians looking at me with admiration. Admiration Fear. and envy. Even at the airport. Even at the airport the next day. I had to go to the check-in desk because there's some problem at the auto kiosk. Mm. And uh, I think I was down as Frau early. And, and I was like, look, <laughs> it thinks I'm a woman. Is this a problem? Uh, and she said, no, 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 it's not a problem. And then she said, oh, big party in Ireland tonight, right? Or big party in Ireland today. And I was like, yeah. Uh, I guess it's you know it's such a such a rare feeling you know, uh, <laughs> but damn straight. But you know in the stadium, scraping pe- those Austrians off your heel, yeah, pe- I love people, it. People were looking at us, thinking, you know, these guys, they, these guys, uh, these guys play football. Mm. These guys know these these guys know the game. They play football, and I mean, it, right down to the the casual, the the casual sort of what's that word? Seniority, seniority, the sort of droit de seigneur. Was that it? With which Martin O'Neill refused to really pay much attention to the orders to get out of the room because um, his counterpart, Marcel Collar, was coming in to do his press conference. Um, Sorry, I thought we just established the uh, the order the of things order just out in the field there about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. For, uh, her co- uh, collar. So. We talk, you wait. Yeah, that's how this works. Well, no, I, it was. Uh, I, li- I like the new Ireland. O'Neill had, had done his his press conference, uh, his post match press conference, in which he uh, praised the performance, praised various of the players, uh, cancelled caution uh, because there's a which long I way to ignored. go. Yeah, long way to go. Don't forget, don't forget. Said Martin O'Neill this time last, this time two years ago. We were in a very different position. We looked as though we were kind of screwed. You know, we were way back behind. We just lost to Scotland. It didn't look good for us. And things turned around for us. So things can turn around. Things can go wrong. Unanticipated things happen. We've already lost Robbie Brady for the next match. We've had to play a game, you know, without Hendrick and Brady. Uh, recently, the, the Moldova game, I think that they neither of them could play in. Um, and we got through that. But these kinds of things are going to happen there's still six games to go. I know four of them are at home, but don't get carried away just yet. We've got a lot of work to do. But still, you know, we're, we're happy with the performance. Anyway, he, he did the press conference. Then uh, he was doing a, a little post-match huddle for the daily newspapers. Mm. And this was happening just sort of you know, a couple of meters away from where he'd been sitting to do the press conference in this sort of press room. Very nice, very nice setup, incidentally, in Vienna. That was the one, that was the one sort of stone in my shoe. Yeah. Well... I just, in addition to this feeling of pride uh, that I had, I also had a nagging sense of shame at the at wondering what these Austrian journalists must have thought or must think when they come to Dublin. Uh, because uh, uh, in what area? Are it's they- not an area that it's not an area that really concerns most people. Sure. But I do feel it's an area that that maybe does colour the impressions of journalists. And you know, if we're if we're interested in giving a good impression of ourselves to our Austrian cousins, yeah, um, I do feel we're falling down in in one important area. They're used to a pretty nice uh, experience when they get to the stadium. Well, we got to the stadium actually, the the uh, the Prater Stadium in Vienna. It's a kind of an old 
old type of stadium. Um, it looked like a dump, Ken. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to come right out and say it. it. I thought it looked like it. It was the latest thing in this group, this qualification group, that made me think that we'd been magically transported to 1985. And I'm not just talking about the style of our football. Yeah, you know, it, it, it wasn't. It, it, it's an old uh, bowl-shaped uh, stadium with a running track. Um, it's it's atmospheric enough actually when you're in there, but you know it's not it's not modern. It's not like uh, there's lots of cor- corrugated iron or mm. corrugated iron facades as well. Yeah, so they they do love a corrugated iron facade in Austria. It's and, and Switzerland too. It's something I've I've noticed in those countries. They've got a kind of uh, quite a utilitarian uh, attitude sometimes to building mm. fronts. They don't really. They, they slap up a billboard and they don't really care. It's kind of, it's a strange counterpoint to the magnificence of some of the uh, older buildings there, particularly in Vienna. There's this kind of quite square, clunky, unadorned look to a lot of them. Anyway, what am I, I'm rabbiting on. We, it took ages to get in. We were being, it's literally the, the biggest security uh, check I've ever been through. I mean, the London Olympics was a breeze compared to the check wow. going into the Prater Stadium. I mean, unpack everything, take off, you know, you take off your clothes. Uh, I don't know what the, story was why, why mm. they were being so so strict but they were checking the journalists very carefully but once we got in there was this magnificent spread you're just talking about food now uh, Ken I thought this was based on something more than do you, you not know. want to know what we had well obviously I want to know what we had but I mean I, I think well they had salads they had they had they had uh, an, an array of salads there was there was sort of smoked salmon with capers uh, there was uh, Wiener schnitzel with mm-hmm. uh, potato salad um, various kinds of cheeses, delicious caprese, uh, and so on. Then moving on to the hot food, uh, there was pickled red cabbage. Uh, there was goose. Never had goose before. Goose. Literally never eaten it before. Uh, dumplings. And then for afters, uh, a kind of a custard pie. A very dense custard pie, which I shouldn't have eaten. I shouldn't have eaten it. It was covered in icing sugar. I mean, I'm yeah. diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I ate this thing, and I swear, God. it was like I'd eaten a piece of, like, plutonium or something. I felt my stomach just started to kind of mm, pulsate. Yeah. I thought, oh, God, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done this. Um, a beer, a beer on tap, uh, an unsupervised beer tap. Just fill your boots. You know what I mean? Now, when, when those, I mean, I thought this is magnificent. Obviously, uh, a whole, uh, an array of coffees and, you know, whatever, mm. whatever type of coffee you want. When, when they come to Dublin... They get two trays of sandwiches. You know the type. I mean, you've had them, yeah. the little triangular ones, yeah. which have been, seem like they've been in the open air for a while. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, look, maybe the, the Austrian Football Association is, is wealthy. I don't know. Maybe there was, was there Red Bull stuff around there? So a few Red Bull Sorry logos. to jump in here, but that buffet was reckless. They well, knew journalists were around. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Austrian journalists obviously have learned to live with those conditions and, and, and operate. There's an equilibrium. There's a kind of an equilibrium when Austrian journalists are exposed. That's just what they expect and, and they're able to act in a civilized yeah. manner. I have to admit, I did take as much as I want. I kept going back to the Wiener Schnitzel potato salad, filling my plate, and I and then after all that, I ate that custard pie. You know what I mean? Ken. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's were, like were, you were you afraid have... that they were going to take it away from you like before kickoff or something? I just, I, I was hungry, you know? It was cold. It was cold. It was really cold. Um, Maybe you know. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm I'm from Ireland. We're just a less 
disciplined people. Mm. Now, we need to have those stricter licensing laws because, you know, we can't imagine what might happen with, with yeah. V&E style. Yeah. Anyway, I've got I've gotten off the point. The point was Martin O'Neill was, was doing his post-press conference press conference. Yeah. Um, a smaller affair. He, he's standing there and there's journalists, you know, standing around in a circle holding their phones, listening to, listening to what he's saying. And he's kind of more or less rehashing the stuff that you will have been reading in, in today's yeah. uh, newspapers. But after, after that, that was, the whole thing lasted slightly less than six minutes. But after about, I guess, three and a half minutes or so, one of the uh, sort of Austrian stadium personnel came up and said, you know, excuse me, uh, the Austrian manager, if, if you could please finish now, the Austrian manager is about to, the Austrian coach is about to do his press conference. Yeah. We said, oh, yes, absolutely. But, you know, he's still talking and, you know, this is our time. So, yeah. you know, if you wouldn't mind, you know. Uh, and so O'Neill kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah. And then we, what happened was that this group started to walk very slowly, mm. written in its formation, yeah. like a rolling mall, <laughs> yeah. with Martin O'Neill as the kind of ball carrier. Yeah. Well, he'd be at the back now if he was the ball carrier. Well, he was, was, he he, was, he was, he was at the back. back. He was at the so back. you guys were surrounding I him, I was actually at the front. From, yeah. So imagine a sort of You're a, Devin Toner. Imagine a circle. I, 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 and, and just as in a rolling mall, I've got my back. The, you're yeah, encouraging yeah. the other. You're sort of bringing the other players into the yeah, mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Paul Lennon, get in here. Get so in here quick. Get tight to me. I was standing in Neil front Reardon, of Neil Reardon. Get in here. Get in under me. Neil Reardon was to my left. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Lennon to the right. Yeah. Uh, and I was uh, I was backing towards the door, and that meant that I could see over Martin O'Neill's shoulder the desk where now the Austrian coach yeah. and press officer and another guy who I guess was serving as a translator we're, now, we're by now actually sitting yeah, yeah. but we were continuing to talk well you know what about uh, Harry Arter yeah. kind of thing and and we were you know it was, it was like a little hubbub but yeah. this guy's the, the Austrian journalists are all there and this press guy and the Austrian uh, press officer gave the dirtiest look I've ever seen oh what a look of cold fury Mm. Over to us, the disrespect. But then I thought to myself, this is what it feels like to be yeah. part of. We've we've sacked your city. Yeah, you know. That's yeah, we the, came here. That's the cruel reality of what's ass. of what's happened here. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, um, and eventually, it's like, it's like the you know the when uh, foreign managers come over or uh, foreign journalists come over and they start asking about like say the the latest Premier League news to Roy Keane instead of talking about us. Yeah. You know, you know the the di- level of disrespect to that. You know, Alex Ferguson's in the press slagging off Ruud van Nistelrooy again. Uh, Roy, would you have any comment to make about that? Yeah. And it just kind of puts us in a very def- definitively in our place. Yeah. You know, in the in the the eyes of the world's sport uh, football media. The Austrian press conference incidentally went on forever. Mm. I mean, it was all in in German. I found it, I could I couldn't really understand it. Um, it went on for so long. I've never seen such a long post defeat. Mm press conference I mean he's going to get the sack is he well they're not in a good situation at the moment you can see their team was angry the team was was broken up and this is what Ireland I thought did well because you know it started off the the, the atmosphere in the stadium was great the stadium was packed you know you don't, you don't maybe necessarily think of Austria as being a passionate football country that much. although they have had some good teams they do have a tradition of, of football but you know it's kind of more Winter Olympics type of country right Winter Olympics and Red Bull Extreme Sports. Yeah, um, like those guys. wasn't Wasn't that guy jumping from space, Austrian? Uh, uh, Baumgartner. Yeah, I mean that's. It sounds like the most Austrian name in the world. Is it actually Baumgartner? Well, it's. I'm going to check that. You, one. You're it hopefully was... you're not getting it. Felix Baumgartner is that his name? Yeah, I think so. Baumgartlinger was the Austrian uh, captain. No, no, Baumgartner horse. Yeah, that's him. Austrian skydiver. Yeah, um, that's him. But 
Uh, One of many skydivers uh, whose name I'm immediately able to recall from the depth of my brain. But the, st- the stadium was packed and they had this great rendition of uh, the Radetzky March before the game and everyone was had their flags and Austrians all kind of are familiar with these types of events and know how to uh, wave their flag, not in, a, not in a crude and uncoordinated and chaotic way, but in unison as though they were conducting the march. Mm. You know, every yeah. inside every Austrian there is a, a conductor, a maestro. Can I just say this doesn't exactly sound like uh, Galatasaray, welcome to hell. <laughs> Ah, There's no, a bunch it, of extremely rich middle class guys <laughs> waving flags in unison to classical music. That yeah. does not sound like the sort of thing you know that Eric Cantor would be getting a baton across the head for. The only other place I've seen it actually, it's a comparable thing, was in Amsterdam, where they, where Andre Rue was actually on the field that night. I'm pretty sure, but before Ireland played Holland in Amsterdam in 2004, when Robbie Keane scored the uh, goal, it was just a friendly game. But that Andre Rue actually was on the field playing his wife, leading um, the the crowd in the song then was, I think it was that, uh, you know, I think it's Shostakovich, I can't think the name of it, but the uh, this this created, not not necessarily a terrifying, oh my God, you know, the players mm-hmm. coming out in the field, shielding their, their heads from the, you know, projectiles, uh, which yeah. were going to be launched at them. But, you know, a kind of a, yeah, come on guys, let's do this. Yet's uh, uh, Gateslos or uh, whatever it was they say. They're like, let's do, let's do it. Come on! And they started off really, really fast uh, as with a with a with a can-do kind of attitude, and sort of ran into this weird, vague, like Obdurate. resistance yeah. from Ireland, like they were like they were in some kind of quicksand. That's sort of not only were they sinking into it, but like it was emitting some kind of a gas that was making them become drowsy and lose the will to live. You know? <laughs> this is what it was like. And I know people were complaining, oh, the game is no good. But we were anesthetizing them. Yeah, we were I, like a bow constrictor. Yeah. I, I do think that there are... Crushing them. Yeah, that there are... Why don't you take a little breath there, Austria? <laughs> <laughs> I think that there, is, there, gotcha. there, there are large parts of every Ireland game that that we we managed to subjugate so entirely that, that basically nothing happens for like 20 or 25 minutes. That we, we have this kind of deadening effect that we can say, right, the game lasts for 90 minutes, but we're going to we're going to kill you for 20 or 25 minutes. We're going to anesthetize you for at least 20 to 30 minutes of this game. And in the remaining 60, that maybe we might be able to come out on top. Yeah. And that was certainly the the middle 30 minutes of the of the game of the first half were just unbelievably bad. But like, you know, but, but the result of that was to completely deaden the the atmosphere in the stadium. The crowd are all are, are watching. Yeah, if like, you're playing a team short in confidence, I mean that does actually have a huge impact. And the the Austrians started to break up. Like the their their team fell apart. Um, Kevin Vimmer, the uh, fullback, who's not very good for Spurs and not very good not for Austria. Very good for Austria either. Um, ended up getting booed off because the crowd hadn't forgotten that he had. Uh, dived in the build-up to Ireland. He, it was his flopping to the ground, effectively, that gifted Ireland the start of that move. I mean, it, gifted is the wrong word because there was actually Myler did very well, got it to Hula and Hulan did brilliantly and McLean finished it. So it was a lovely move, but if Vimmer had not just, you know, copped out, uh, the crowd, I, I actually watched in the press room after the game, the Austrian journalists were kind of gathered around watching the, their manager on the post-match uh, sort of TV analysis mm-hmm. 
he was kind of standing there going, well, yeah, it didn't go over too good. And then they showed the replay, and just at the moment when Vimmer sort of fell down, Ever they all went, Rawr! you know, like they were really. I'd say he got absolutely slaughtered. I, you know, it's, I hope he's back in London already. Mm. To be, to be fair, because it was, they were obviously not impressed with uh, with what he'd done. Uh, a point that you were making earlier, though, about our game management, which certainly is getting better from the point of view of right that we're very obdurate. We don't let we don't give teams like an easy into games, which is, you know, so it's something very definitely to be respected. But. Yeah. I still kind of feel like the last ten or fifteen minutes we could have we could have closed out the game better than we than we did. I mean, Austria were so poor for the first seventy five minutes. When you look back at the chances that they actually had in the last maybe ten or fifteen minutes, yeah, you just kind of think, mm, you know, we were the better team there. We were, you know, by a distance really in the second half a better team. It shouldn't have gotten down to that. I mean, if Janko, you know. Uh, Go, decides rather than going after the Gary Kelly lowest header of all time world record <laughs> to instead just put his boot to that chance that he had at the end yeah. then maybe we're having a different discussion yeah and and yeah that would have, that would have been a pity because it was funny it was like I thought for the 10 minutes leading up to that Ireland actually had controlled it very well I mean yeah. and Austria were, had become frustrated and Arnautovic was just going around stalking people and, and kicking people uh, you know Alaba was, was kind of nowhere really to be seen he had, a, he had one decent shot in the second half you know as long he has a pop from distance yeah. not much you can do about that and he missed um, they had kind of they had broken down I think as a team uh, and were looking for to to you know to vent anger yeah. at that stage yeah, so which is, Ireland yeah, had done that's, their job yeah that, and that's disappointing then that, like, that we still managed to give them a few more chances than they deserved mm. but you know I thought I thought overall that's great I mean we're obviously in a very good position in the group I think Harry Archer is has the potential to be um, a really useful player for us in, in a I lot of different I thought he started positions. very nervously. He did. He, he played pretty. And it, it was funny. There was a moment in the first half when he he won the ball really well in a position just on the near touchline, the kind of left Ireland's left wing. He he pressed someone he wasn't expecting to be pressed. He then fell over in a Vimmer-like way. Mm. But on this occasion, the referee gave him the foul. And Arthur was so frustrated because he hadn't played well up to that point. Or, you know, he, he hadn't been... His touches weren't weren't great. His passing wasn't great, and he was obviously frustrated. But he had won the ball in a great position. Where if play had been allowed to go on as it should, we would have been in. I mean, there was a there, there was like a couple of players ahead of the ball. We were in a great position to at least have a great chance. And the referee instead gave a free kick for a dive. And Arthur was was screaming, and I thought he was going to get himself booked actually mm. because of the way that he was talking to the referee. But uh, from that point, he actually started playing well, and it's more the way the way that he's quite versatile. You know, he's um, he seems to understand how to play in different uh, positions in midfield. But we will talk, I think, in a bit more detail about the game with Dion. Dion uh, Fanning's coming in, um, so we'll go back to that. Um, the group overall. I mean, I know you wouldn't have seen a lot of Wales Serbia, mm. um, uh, but I know that a lot of people did because it was on uh, Sky pretty soon after the Ireland game finished. Um, and the quality of football in that game did seem a couple of levels higher than uh, than the Ireland Austria game. But by the same token, we have now given ourselves such a great chance, beat Wales at home in our next game, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're we're, we're thirteen points, whatever. You know, Austria. We would we look at we look at Austria now and say, right, are, they're pretty much out of the running of the group. But I mean, if we beat Wales in the next game, we'll be seven points seven points ahead of Wales as well. Um, is, if we beat Wales in the next yeah. game, 
Um, well, what, what do Wales have them on? Six? Six. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like that's... 13. Yeah, that's... And that's, that's big. Yeah. that will be a lot for them to make up over five matches. Um, but, you know, as Martin, you keep saying, there's a lot, uh, lot more to it. Um, there was just a couple of other little things. Um, Thomas Miller having a fight with San Marino. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Thomas Miller, Germany beat San Marino 8 0. And Thomas Miller said, I don't understand the point of basically playing against a team like these. It's got uh, Karl Heinz Rummenigge said, It's got nothing to do with professional football. Uh, which, so the San, uh, San Marino press officer, Alan Gasparoni, has issued a long statement in which he uh, criticizes Thomas Miller uh, for his out of touch arrogance. Yeah. Um, you're right, games like that on a Friday night, they're nothing to you. On the other hand, dear Thomas, you don't need to come to San Marino for almost nothing in a weekend, which, without the Bundesliga, you'd have spent with your wife on the sofa of your luxury villa. Or who knows, you could have taken part in some events organized by your sponsors to bank several thousand euros. Wow. Allow me to give you ten good reasons for which I think the San Marino-Germany match is very useful. And if only you could think about it and let me know what you think. It served to show that not even against teams as poor as ours, you can't score a goal. <laughs> Whoa. Don't say you weren't pissed when Simoncini stopped you scoring. It served to make it clear to your managers, and even Beckenbauer and Rummenigge, that football is not owned by them, but by all of those who love it, among which, like it or not, we are included. Step outside your echo chamber, Thomas Muller. There's a real San Marino out there, and it won't be ignored any longer. <laughs> he says, it served to remind hundreds of journalists from all over Europe there are still guys who follow their dreams and not your rules. It served to confirm that you Germans will never change. And that history has taught you that bullying, <laughs> bullying is not always guarantee of victory. Ooh, I don't, I, a bit of an escalation there. That's uh, an escalation. I, I feel that's very unfair. I feel Germany really has changed now. And they might be looking around at the rest of the world going, what's happening? <laughs> why is this, why, is this, like, so what is this horrible inversion of everything that used to, why are, why are we being made fun of in this way by history? Look, uh, it served to show that 200 guys in San Marino who play the game for whatever reason, why their coaches ask them to always work their hardest. Who knows? Maybe one day all their sacrifice will not be repaid with a game against the champions of the world. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, finally, he, his last point, it's all that kind of stuff. Uh, his last point was, uh, it served to make me realize that even if you wear the most beautiful Adidas kits underneath, you're always the ones that put white socks under their sandals. So uh, I make that two out of ten at least. They're guilty of racial profiling. Yeah. Uh, so people are saying, oh, hilarious response. I'm kind of like, well... Yeah, but, you know, I don't think there's any need for that now. Yeah, 8-0. Uh, but um, uh, and a good interview with Ander Herrera uh, by Sid Lowe, uh, where he uh, talks about how, you know, uh, Jose, uh, Jose Maria, what does he say? He says, um, basically, he wouldn't say that uh, he wouldn't say anything bad about Louis Van Hal. It's ungentlemanly to talk about coaches who've left. I'm grateful to him. He brought me to United. I paid 71 games, so I wouldn't say it's a bad word. I wouldn't say a bad word about him. I prefer to talk about the present. Um, I like Mourinho's sessions. Very dynamic, always with the ball. There are no really long sessions or talks. He understands what a footballer needs. Um, he uh, he had previously said, oh, I love Van Gaal. I love playing with him. He's mucha, mucha, mucha about possession. And that's the kind of football I like. Possession, passing the ball in midfield. That's what I love. Uh, <clears throat> so Sid sort of asks him, well, you know, mm. you're playing for Jose Mourinho now, how's, how's the transition to the other type of Bloody game? Bloody gutter journalism from Sid there. Well, he, he, <laughs> he, he rejected, he, he rejected the, the premise of Sid's question. He said, look, you know, we've, we've, on, got, 
we've got uh, possession. It's a myth. It's, it's a myth. <laughs> There's an idea of Mourinho that's flawed. In many games, we've had more possession. Liverpool had more, but otherwise we've had more of the ball and more chances. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically, we had been talking about Ander Herrera uh, being, I think, possibly one of the key men for Mourinho going forward. I was surprised to see that it's actually going to be his debut for Spain against England tomorrow. But... Um, that just goes to show, I suppose, the quality of the uh, options in midfield that Spain, in fact, have. Hmm. That's the end of Ken Early's report on sport. I accept your challenge. I call out Ricky Roark and Steve Nash. Here we go. Stop it. That's one of those things. Stop it. How many players can do this? Death man can never die. He's 34 years old. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tan than me, but. We're joined in studio now by Dion Fanning of Sports Joe. Uh, how are you doing, Dion? Hey, Ken. How's it going? Thanks for coming in. Welcome. Uh, pretty exciting weekend. All yeah, felt. fantastic. Fantastic. Was uh, it one of the greatest Ireland performances you've ever seen? Yeah, I think so. Because ultimately with Ireland, it, it does come down to whether they, they win or draw 1-1. And, you know, we're so used to seeing those games end in a 1-1 draw. Um, and even in the last seconds, I think, we thought there was kind of, you know, there was that awful moment like when uh, you know, the Austria got down the left and Seamus Coleman fell over and then tried to sort of clamber back onto his feet like a sort of you know, cat kind of trying to stay on a roof. And, uh, and they crossed it and you think, this is it and this is the inevitable equaliser. And it, and it didn't happen. So I think a victory like that, which comes around so rarely, uh, you know, every 30 years, every 25, 30 years, uh, makes it one of the great Irish nights. And then for it to be such a great goal as well. Yeah. Um, and and then and then on on and add on the layer that the really critical layer that Ireland are, are top of the group and in a really strong position. So I think it was one of the great nights. Well, I mean, it's 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 funny because I mean I was sitting there in the stadium watching the game and I thought I I looked at Twitter to see I could see what people were making of the game and it was just like oh this is the worst game ever oh this is awful you know I can't believe I have to watch this I feel sorry for anyone who has to be at this game and all all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, is it really that bad? I, I mean, I, I had been watching it. Thinking, the first half was terrible. I thought, thought I thought it was okay, though. I mean, this is a football game. Yeah, this is, this and there was game. there was literally no football in the football <laughs> game. That was that's precisely the problem. I mean, I think. That but there what, were, what do you mean? There was literally no football. What do you what do you mean by football? A person passes the ball to another person on the same team, and there's more than a minute without the referee blowing the whistle. I mean, uh, I'm I, setting the bar pretty low there. For well, I actually game, reminded me of really low standard football games where if you, it, you know, it's level like, you know, I would play at or something where if, if the other team makes sort of two or three consecutive passes, yeah. immediately anything can happen, you yeah. know, because it's just such a rarity. Yeah. Everything opens up on the back of two or three consecutive passes. And that happened a few times with Austria. But then, again, you know, they just, it just all fell apart. Like uh, a like a really low quality football game, but not as much of like you know half the players in the pitch doubled over laughing <laughs> at various points. <laughs> no, no, without that, without that essential factor. Um, but you know, sometimes a football game is not going to be is going to be broken up like that. It's a contest. It's two teams kind of really who are quite evenly matched 
uh, who can't get the better of each other trying you know trying to stop each other well i think what yeah well i think what the key factor in it was the especially from the austrian point of view but was that anxiety that sense you know that when they, they and they started okay and then they didn't score and clearly then ireland's set piece strength when they sort of threatened a couple of times with set pieces it kind of seemed to sort of shatter whatever kind of little bit of of confidence austria had because it was like okay these guys can score Mm. And uh, we're terrified of what happens if they score because things are going so badly for us. Mm. And there was that. It was the context of it made it made it something gripping. But I think anybody, maybe it's because I, I'm not sure. I think people, I think anybody switching on and watching would would look at it on face value and think this is this is this is rubbish. But mm. clearly, in the in the context of the group and and what it meant for both sides, it was there was an intensity to it. How did James McLean uh, become Ireland's most important player? Um, do you just, do you dispute the premises of, of the? No, I don't. I think. Uh, um, well, I think I think maybe dispute. I would put Wes Hoolan up there as well mm. as a as a, as a as a key player. But I think in the absence of Robbie Keane, Ireland needs someone who can score goals, and, and McLean is 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 the player who's done that. He's he scored more goals uh, than any other player under O'Neill. It's amazing. Sc- eight eight goals. Yeah. He scored all his goals for Ireland under O'Neill, uh, and I think that. Whatever it is, the thing that that thing that O'Neill does, that you know, that sort of like that kind of vague, alch- you know, strange alchemy that people talk about. Um, you know, he has worked it so well with McLean. He has worked it. McLean, you know, he's the guy who got, gave McLean his break at Sunderland. McLean is incredible, intensely loyal to him. Uh, extremely, you know, he is ex- clearly extremely proud to play for Ireland, and it means an awful lot to him. Mm. And uh, and all those things really combined um, create this sort of potent force, like you know the dangerous force that he is, the player who can you know is always when he comes on is in danger of being booked straight away. Uh, yeah, he's he's managed to basically cha- channel all of that energy that used to be oh he's a yellow card waiting to happen. He's an unexploded bomb. Yeah. You know, so at, at some point, McLean will go off, and I yeah. don't I don't really get that. I don't have that worry about him at no, the moment. No, no, no. He's, he's too busy scoring goals that are winning us uh, yeah. vital World Cup qualifier. And, he, and he's become, I think he yeah. sees himself now as the representative of the team. Like, I don't think he stopped and talked to any journalists afterwards last night. I think he's, apparently he's, he's angry at how the uh, Serbia game was reported. Why? Because he felt Ireland weren't given enough credit for that result. A bit well, like I agree with him. Maybe I should, I, I think I need to get on to him actually. Send him my, send him my. Did you see what I wrote? I don't know if you read the Irish Times. Tweet him, tweet him your, tweet him your piece. Well, is he, does he have drop, a, drop him an email? Does he, have an, active, say. does he have an active account? Maybe he might reactivate. <laughs> maybe today, maybe today he does. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I agree with that. Although I don't really understand why. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose it's 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 kind of typical of McLean that rather than just go well, you know, obviously I'm I'm disappointed that you know these. Uh, yeah, you know, the, these people from whom I, I expect a little better got it wrong, as as always. You know, the dishonest failing mainstream media failed to report the Serbia <laughs> game accurately. But, you know, you, you, most most players would still just talk to them at the next game anyway because that's just what happens. And McLean is not like that. No, well, that's well, I think it's interesting that he's taken it upon himself to... To, to take these actions on the basis of, of the entire team and how it was covered, whereas previously... Uh, he might respond badly to some criticism of himself, or he might be angered by something, or he might, you know, you see it, you see it the other way with him too. When, when people have written 
pieces articles that he that he agrees with about himself. He tweets he's tweeted them in the does past. He? he does, yeah. Definitely gonna get on to him. <laughs> I wrote a piece about him today calling him, you know, saying he was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you want those numbers. Well look, you know, he's he's uh, but I do, uh, I do yeah. admire him. Like I, I admire I think he's, I think he, I think you know, even before the Euros you could see this uh this kind of uh, evolution in his play, you know, when, he, when, he, when he was playing up front in a couple of the friendlies, and yeah. uh, he, he just has that—he has like that—that—that that, that whole that energy he has that is kind of essential to the Martin O'Neill framework, where you just need players not to not to stop. You don't need uh, somebody who's dropped. Robbie Keane, in some ways, is is a you know, apart from his goals, he does nothing that that Martin O'Neill would want. In a forward, because he's all about just getting a chance. Whereas McLean, McLean keeps working, and uh, and and then he now he has got got that added that added value of bringing goals to it. It's a kind of it's a combination that you, he it makes him makes him so important. Yeah, the, and the, the interesting thing as well, though, it's not like as you say the strange alchemy that O'Neill works is often on players who are low on confidence. That he kind of builds up and makes a better player. I mean, McLean, what you'd never say was low on confidence. There's something, something else has happened. O'Neill has given him something else. Whether that's is that a, like a different tactical role in the team or? Well, I wouldn't over, I wouldn't overlook Tony Pulis as well because I think the main thing over the last while with McLean is that uh, he's been playing in the Premier League all the time. It's it makes an a ex- big difference. It's, but it's an extraordinary. That is extraordinary in itself because if you look at where he was when he left Wigan. There was he was going to go to America, yeah. and I, he was looking at a career in America. This was the only like he didn't have many options. America was never going to be an option for him as he saw it at the end of his career, as because he was never going to be the type of player that the American clubs would want, uh, you know, for a swan song. So this was an opportunity to go somewhere and earn a bit of money and you know get a. Get that kind of keep his career going in that way. Get but some if he seed had t- capital for whatever his next business is going to be in life, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but that was you know would he have, would Martin O'Neill have considered him if he was playing? But he considers Kevin Doyle, so maybe he would have. But uh, I don't think it would have it would have been possible with him to say right. He's he's central to Ireland and he's and he's playing in in uh, Colorado or, or wherever he'd be playing. Yeah. So that when that didn't happen and, and West Brom came in for him instead and Pulis has backed him. Yeah. Um, that has been that has been a, that has been a key factor, and to get him playing in the Premier League, and I I don't necessarily think he's uh, I don't necessarily think he's he, he's he's full of confidence. I think he's uh, he's very brash, but I don't think necessarily think that translates always into um, total confidence. And I think the fact that he's got two managers who back him, who believe in him, I know you know that 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 has been that has been a big factor in getting uh, getting him to play the way he does play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think this <clears throat> confidence in in your own in your technical ability is a more is a more fragile thing, I think, for for a lot of players. And I think for McLean, then, for instance, confidence in the idea that you might be right in standing up to, you know, the Daily Mail about the poppy or something like that. But I mean, what what one one kind of strange quirk of him at the moment is that he scored as many goals for Ireland in the last two matches as he has for West Brom in since he's joined them. Um, so it's not as though this kind of goal scoring, this rampaging goal scoring player we're seeing for Ireland is a player we often see in the uh, Premier League. Um, but yeah, it's because international football just isn't very good. Yeah, so he. But I mean, that, it sounds now as though we're kind of disparaging him. But a player of his of his type has got more uh, 
there's more of a chance for him to really to, to do damage in international football. In international, he could be a really a big player. Well, you in see, this, this is the thing. Uh, this is the one issue I have, and I maybe he has to say it. But O'Neill talks about international football still as if it is it is the pinnacle of of of, of the game. That you know we're looking for players who can make the step up to international football, and he's used it in the context of the Dundalk players a, a lot. Uh, that it might be too big a leap. International football isn't uh, it, whatever it is. It's not. It, it's not relatable to the Premier League. It's a. It's a kind of a different game, and it applies to McLean and it applies to Wes, Wes Houlihan as well. Um, you probably wouldn't take the risk with Houlihan that you do in in Premier League that you do in international football because when he gives the ball away, when he shoved off the ball, teams punish you for those mistakes. Mm. The first 15 minutes on Saturday, he gave the ball away, he was he shrugged off the ball, and nothing happened. Ireland got the ball back again. Mm. That's what happens in international football. You can take risks with players who have flaws because no, they're not going to be punished as severely. And then if you've got someone like Hula who can do what he does in the build-up to the goal, mm. and even in the, in the one-two with Robbie Brady for the Walters chance, yeah. it's worth it's worth the other side of it. I think you kind of need to think differently. It's why Daryl Horgan would be an interesting international player too, because it doesn't have it doesn't have the the uh, pace of the Premier League. It doesn't have the the, the spread of players who are going to who are going to capitalise if you make mistakes. Mm. And so then you have to kind of. You know, you can encourage a, a McLean, you can encourage a Wes to do what they're going to do, knowing that the, thing, the mistakes they make aren't going to cost you as much. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Hillen there, and for a long time, obviously for a long time he wasn't picked at all, but then for a long time it seemed as though Martin O'Neill saw him as a player that you could only play, you know, against Kazakhstan at home or, you know, in home matches, uh, not really so much in, in big away games. That's... I mean, well, would there's he no have, justification for that. Would he have played on Saturday if Ireland had a full squad? I don't think he would. I mean, this is if 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 you'd had McCarthy and Shane Long and then, Stephen and Stephen Ward, yeah, then he probably would have been pushed out of the reckoning. And I don't know, maybe we would have won the game anyway. But the idea that Hulahan is not a player that you can, but would we have won like the that? game anyway? Because the one well, maybe the, 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 would or would it have been a Shane nil Long nil? Might have won a penalty. Would it have been a nil nil? Like would because. What you need in those games? How many times we've sat here so many times and talked about what what is sort of undone Ireland is you know what 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 sort of did for them in Vienna the last time hmm. was was Alaba one player yeah. who can make a difference and that's all amount of international teams you see who one player just makes a difference yeah. and that's what what Wes was for Ireland on Saturday hmm. so I don't know if you can say we were so superior that we would have. Uh, that it would have happened anyway, because that moment, and that's a classic moment as well, because he, meant it, like, he did have a lot of time and space to actually deliver that pass. Yeah. Probably more more time than he would have got in the Premier League. Yeah. But, but then, he, you know, he did it very, I mean, he did he did it as quickly as it could be done almost. I mean, there was three touches. Yeah. And the timing and he had of to the turn pass. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was yeah. perfect. And he, and he, he made, he, he just, he made sure that the run McLean was making was going to, you know, like it's he would con- result in a chance. Yeah, and was going to continue. He sort of mapped out the rest of McLean's run for him. Like it was a perfect pass. Yeah. Um, and that's what I that's what I mean. I don't think you. I think that's what you have to have in international football. You have to say, right, forget about the flaws. Forget about like Trapattoni looked upon things completely the opposite way, where it was like, let me just look at all your weaknesses. And actually, you've got so many weaknesses, we're not going to take any risk with anything. Yeah, it's a kind of Juventus Bayern Munich attitude to your footballers, you know? Yeah. It's like ruling out, ruling players out as opposed to sort of ruling them in. Yeah, know? and ultimately then, 
what happened with Trap because I don't think any, Ireland lacked uh, lacked any spirit under 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 Trap, but the 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 you know the the approach was so negative that it's just it's sort of and you're kind of ultimately kind of no, you feel you're gonna you're gonna concede a goal because the manager is telling you I don't think you're able to do anything but try try to keep goals out mm. and eventually then it's sort of like it's sort of. It just it happens as a kind of consequence of that kind of relentless, uh, <laughs> relentless lack of conviction in, in, from the manager. Um, but this is this is what what changes with 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 one player like Wes on the pitch, and I think that's why you have to pick him in those games. The other uh, the big story, as Martin O'Neill said, uh, was that we've Harry Arter is now our player. He certainly is. Um, how how did, what did you make of his performance? I think he's a good. I think it was good. I think it was. Uh, I think everything picked up when when Glenn Whelan went off, and I think uh, uh, I think Arthur will be a really important player for Ireland. I think he he was, uh, you know, he he he's physical. He, he gets. I, I think he was it was it was good performance, but I think it it really it did he, he, everything. Myler actually made it made a huge difference when he came on. I mm. think that was uh, that was that was a key thing. Well, in what the I field. liked about what I like about Arthur is the way that say when when Myler came on, he was he was replacing Whelan directly. And he made a catastrophic mistake within one minute of like kind of oh, going AWOL and, and Austria nearly scored. Um, it was when the ball was headed out to the edge of the box and Janko missed and Myler was nowhere to be seen. And Duffy was screaming at Myler then. And what basically seemed to happen after that was that Harry Arthur did that job. Mm. And the thing, like Arthur is a player who uh, I guess... We were we were looking at thinking about him as as maybe a a long term replacement for Hulahan, you know, a, a player who could play in that type of creative role in midfield. But actually, he can do any job in midfield. He can play. He can play at the back, or he can play at the side. You know, he's um, he's just a, he, he's a, he understands each position better than he has a better all round understanding. Well, he is an all round midfielder. Yeah. I think. I think he you know he he he's, he is aggressive. He is uh, likes to win the ball back, and he can. You know, create as well. So I think there are more aspects to his game. I think they probably. I, Ireland. I think Ireland started last on Saturday with. They did start with a diamond, and then they went to kind of four two three one. I'm not sure if they did that before or after Whelan went off, but certainly it was after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but certainly it was. Uh, it made a difference then to have Arter kind of. Uh, closer to the fence, but I think I think even with that, like that that Duffy header showed, like even I know yeah. Myler should have been there, but that was that was when Ireland looked so vulnerable. That was a terrible header at the yeah. same time you, from a centre back to you just you get that sort of higher. drop it into the into the path of the forward. Set it nicely. For yeah. Um, are Ireland going to top the group? Uh, I would settle for uh, I think a playoff now would be. Isn't that negative? It is negative. Isn't Ken, it I'm Trump negative. Tony, I, yeah, Trump Tony, I know. Like, well, you know, I spent a lot the of lack of we, conviction. We, you spoke a moment ago about the lack of conviction. <laughs> well, I, I'm not. We don't get to spend much time around Martin O'Neill. You know, it oh, hasn't yeah. rubbed off on us. Well, he keeps yeah. telling us. He keeps telling us there's a long way to go. You know, but the fact is, Ireland are blessed to be in this group. Well, Ireland are where Scotland were. At one point, uh, oh, is it? Well, is I think they're pretty, pretty close to where Scotland were mm-hmm. uh, in the in the. Uh, in the um, around you know some winter of 2014, right? Like after they beat Scotland hadn't won away though. Scotland hadn't beaten. Uh, they drawn away in Poland. Uh, they lost to Germany and they drew away to Ireland. Well, it was it was after that point anyway. They hadn't. And then, yeah, they hadn't gone it, and, and yeah. crushed uh, a rival in their no, they hadn't crushed in their arrival. capital. No, um, I I think I think there's a re- I think the, the the home games if clearly 
Ireland are capable of winning winning their home games, and and that's again you look at the record of teams Ireland have beaten now under O'Neill, and that's the other thing that's been transformed. Uh, we always had this idea of any team coming to coming to Dub coming to Lansdowne Road, and it'll be tough for them. But you know, after Holland, like there was a year years there when you know Ireland beat Croatia, beat Yugoslavia, and then beat beat Holland, mm. drew with Portugal. These kind of matches, and they all just would come, and you would think this is going to be very tough for whoever comes here. And then then that just stopped, and uh, a draw would be, was again usually the best thing that we could hope for. But now that that's changed, uh, and there's nothing you would fear from any of the teams. It is an amazing statistic, really. There's four. Four wins against teams ranked higher. And I mean, five if you can Switzerland, but friendlies don't count. Uh, you know, I'm sure, I, I guess we've probably beaten a side in a friendly, a side ranked above us. We must have. Shoot, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't even know. Maybe we haven't Maybe we I haven't agree, managed yeah. to win a single game. There must have been one of those friendlies. You know, under Brian Kerr, we had a yeah, good record in friendlies. Or when beat Sweden 3-0. Surely Sweden were yeah. ranked above us. At they that probably point. were. They, yeah. must, they must have been. They'd been in the Euro semi-final yeah. in 2004. Yeah. Either way. So the sort of friendly stuff count. But anyway, four wins at Germany, Italy, Austria and Bosnia um, in in just a little over a year. That is a, a big turnaround from, from the previous 15 years. No, it's, it's a huge thing. And again, it just does, it is an example of, of what O'Neill gets his teams to do. And you've seen it in, although you saw it in the, in the Poland game as well, just a sort of change in the atmosphere. Uh, around Ireland games, that that again returning to that sense that these are games you know, worth going to, worth being at, which under under trap nobody really felt. Um, maybe maybe the the Italy Italy game like something like that, but there wasn't there wasn't that sense of this is an occasion where anything can happen, anything being Ireland winning. Um, now that's back and. Uh, and and I think it, and it, and it feeds and it feeds into the players and it feeds the crowd feed the players on those occasions. So when these when Wales come, there will be the sense that they're, they're uh, um, that that you know they're, they they can be beaten. There's no reason why Wales can't be beaten. Wales need to win that game. It's a very it's a, a tough place for it's, it's you know they don't want to be playing Ireland in the form they're in, like they will be in, presuming Ireland have a you know strong enough squad then. Mm. And I think, uh, but at the same time. I would, you know, just think with the way things can happen, a playoff still would be a, would be a great outcome from the group. Okay, well, Dean, thanks for coming in and uh, talking to us about all that today. Thanks, lads. See if you don't get this out with Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so it's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get out, get out! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Ken, there was something on the Sporting Intelligence website that uh, caught your eye over the last couple of days. Yeah, they um, have. Uh, they've been doing this now for a little while. Sporting Intelligence, the um, sports salaries survey, um, where which lists off, uh, you know, like the top. How many do they have? Two hundred. Wow, they've got tons. I mean, 300, 333 teams. I can see here in world sport across a range of sports. 
um, by the average pay uh, their players earn. Oh yeah, this per seems to be between between the Yankees and Barcelona, the Yankees and Manchester United, or wasn't isn't that it? That who's bit, who's yeah. number one now? Oh, uh, hmm. Oh, the, one of the Chinese Premier League clubs, Cleveland no? Cavaliers. Cleveland Cavaliers. Simon is the correct answer. The Cleveland Cavaliers in the uh, Rust Belt. Uh, you've got the highest paid team in world sport. Average. Uh, Annual pay eight point six million dollars. Weekly pay one hundred sixty six thousand dollars. That's average pay. Mm. It's not like you know one of the top players. It's the literally the average. Well, yeah, uh, I would say that there is one. You'd say the median pay is lower. Yeah, perhaps. Um, that could well be the case uh, with the with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yankees number two, L.A. Clippers number three, and Man United are the highest paying. Uh, soccer team in the world ahead of Barcelona, which is interesting. <clears throat> it's mainly NBA teams in the top uh, ten, uh, which is why, which is because of their. They recently signed a gigantic uh, tele. I think it's twenty four billion over nine years or something. Mm. They don't have uh, quite as many players to pay either, um, so it works. Uh, it uh, but but well. it is it is everyone on the the playing roster. It's not just like the oh yeah. It's yeah. A, that's why they give it as as average per player because it's not it's not if if they just gave it as you know what's the what's the gross payroll. Hmm. Uh, Man United's is certainly a lot bigger than the Cleveland Cavaliers, but they have got a lot more players than yeah. the Cleveland Cavaliers. And the so New England Patriots f- have ninety players, so I presume that's going to add up as well. Can't find it. Where are the New England Patriots? I, I would say, as a result of the fact that they have ninety players, it may not be that much because they're paying a load of those buttons. So I'd say, I'd say they're. I'd, what's the highest ranked American football team there? I would say it's New England Patriots are one hundred and fifty sixth in the world, one place above Watford FC. Wow. Average, um, the average uh, pay is to just over two million dollars, just as it is at Watford. So uh, yeah. So that gives you an indication for there. And what's the highest American football team? Can you see it there? The I'm highest, sure this is not a, the most the pressingly important question. I've no, the highest about. American football team. Oh, let me look down through it. Oh, it's way down because I'm looking down. There's a lot of IPL teams as well. The Indian Premier yeah. League is is big. Um, wow, I'm looking for NFL. Is it the Green Bay Packers in number nine, 99th position? Yeah, I've they, just been scanning this vision. Yeah, well, they, they have a, a like a huge array of uh, younger players getting paid. Next to nothing. Well, two point eight million, two point eight million dollars is apparently the uh, average wage there. And as yeah. far as I can see, they're the highest paid. Uh, what? Highest paid. Uh, anyway, look, you know, this is just just interesting to know how much. Um, well, Man, Man United, as we mentioned, the top paying team in world football now. So uh, uh, pretty soon, I expect that to start uh, translating into results. <laughs> right. Well, that's pretty much the, pretty much it for this Captain's Irish Times football podcast. We have another podcast out earlier today talking in depth. Well, not really about Ireland, Canada, more so about Ireland, New Zealand two coming up on Saturday in the Aviva. Uh, we also talked about uh, Conor McGregor uh, and is he really this generation's Muhammad Ali? Uh, you can listen to Mark Horgan's brain slowly melting as uh, Ken makes that argument. Uh, so get on that. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ken, thanks, mate. Thank you too, Karen. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, thanks guys. Simon. Okay, that's it.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 